This is Live Well Talk on medicine, color, culture, and equity. I'm Dr. Dustin Arnold, Chief Medical Officer at St. Luke's Hospital. Today's podcast is another installment of our mini-series where we discuss issues related to diversity, equity, inclusion, and what, as a medical staff, what we've called uh, cultural competent healthcare. And returning to the podcast today is Dr. Dina Conte, pediatrician at Unipoint Clinic Pediatrics to discuss uh, gender issues. Dr. Conte, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me again. You know, th- this is this. Uh, unfortunately, this is a uh, 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 complicated topic, uh, and don't expect to, you know, solve it on a podcast. Definitely, but I definitely want to get into today as we talked briefly prior to the podcast. Just, just, just so people have an understanding of what it's about, and that it's not their responsibility to understand it, just to be aware of it and be respectful of it. So let's start with gender identity. What does that mean? What it would, what, or gender, when, when does gender identity become gender dysphoria and how do you separate those two terms? Sure. Well, first gender identity is very simple. It's how a person views themselves. Um, The majority of people identify themselves as the gender they were assigned at birth. Um, so male or female assigned at birth, the majority of people do identify as that. However, not everyone does. And, uh, so your identity is who you see yourself as. And, uh, there really are a lot of different ways that people can view themselves. We think about that with our other characteristics, you know, the things that we like, or we don't like the, the clothes that we choose, the things that we eat, the people we work with. But in this case, it really is internal. This is a really big part of us. How do we see ourselves? And so someone's gender identity is just that. How do you see yourself? Um, And there are as many different uh, ways of looking at gender and understanding someone's own gender identity um, as there are people sometimes. There are um, a lot of different ways that someone might identify their gender. So when we think about, you know, male or female, well, that's really two boxes that uh, that they're bursting at the seams. There are a lot of people who don't find themselves in one or the other. And um, gender dysphoria is where your your beliefs and your feelings about your body and your identity don't match. So someone who was assigned male at birth who identifies as female, well, they know themselves to be female, but when they look at their bodies, they see something different. Um, And physically something different is happening with their bodies than other females might experience who are cisgender, meaning they are assigned female at birth and that's how they identify. A transgender person would be someone who identifies as a different gender or no gender than what they were assigned at birth. And so, uh, so yeah, so a, a transgender individual uh, would have, uh, could have gender identity difficulty because of how they look versus how they feel or how they know themselves to be. So um, so that's where gender dysphoria becomes uh, becomes a, a, a diagnosis or or a challenge. And let's go through the so you have sexual orientation mm-hmm. and you have 
gender identity. What's what's the difference between the two? Yeah, sexual orientation is how we view other people, what we like about other people. So it may be who you're romantically interested in or physically interested in, uh, what kinds of people you or what genders of people you prefer to be with um, in any personal way with someone else. Whereas gender identity, like I said, is is how we view ourselves. Well, I have to, you know, confess that at one point, um, just with Catholic upbringing and, you know, some of those issues that I was kind of dismissive of this topic. And then I, I read when Bruce Jenner was transitioning to Caitlyn Jenner, I read how his entire life he never felt right and he felt so alone and he felt like he wasn't himself. And I, then I thought to myself, you know, here's a here's a human being that's suffering and the way for them not to suffer is to make that transition to Caitlyn, right? And I thought, you know, that that, that really put it in perspective that it's it, I, I need to be aware of these issues, but I'm not here to understand them. Uh, because that's, nor are they there to understand me. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And, and I think to be respectful in that, et cetera, um, you, you have to be mindful of that because as a physician, you, you want to do a good job, you know, and if you don't recognize social determinants, uh, perhaps a language barrier, uh, gender issues, you're not going to do a good job. Right. Right. And that's, that's really. Just just like, you know, anyone we encounter in medicine, we have to meet them where they are. We have to be the doctor that they need us to be. Not the one sometimes that I even set out to be, you know, not the, you know, sometimes we come into the room with an agenda and sometimes we have to throw our agenda out the window because we have to meet people where they are. So if I'm walking into a room and I think that I'm going to be meeting a man and when I walk in, I say, you know, hey, I'm Dr. Conti. It's nice to meet you. How would you like me to address you? And and the the person gives me a female name and says, you know, my pronouns are she, her. Well, you know what? I'm changing on the spot because whatever I came into the room thinking is no longer possible. You know, that's no longer an issue. Now I've got a different person standing in front of me than I thought I was going to have. Right. They're still themselves. They're still the same person they've always been. It's just my perception of them has to change. And uh, and that's really how how we are respectful of of anyone we come in contact with, any of our patients or our family members or our friends is, you know, we meet people where they are. Um, yeah, now, I, I will think- say, I will say, uh, Dr. Arnold, that um, that if you do a Google search for Bruce Jenner, you will find no one. Um, Caitlyn Jenner is who Bruce Jenner was known as. Also, it changes that, does it really? Yes, because like if that. you think about it, if Caitlyn Jenner was in there, was, you know, if this person identified themselves as female and said, you know what, this male body I'm in doesn't fit me. Well, whatever they identified as inside is is who they are. 
Now, not everybody starts with the gender they were assigned at birth and transitions directly to, you know, a, a, another gender without going through some period of confusion or questioning. There's some people who are non-binary for a while because they're just not sure how they fit or how they see themselves and then end up saying, you know what, I really am this gender. You know, I, so for for Caitlyn Jenner, yeah, we all we all knew her as Bruce Jenner, and she called herself Bruce Jenner for years, but that's not who she was. And uh, so anyway, so yeah, so it, it it you can see though that it kind of like okay when I think about someone's gender, wait, that just kind of blows my mind because well, I knew yeah, that this person was Bruce. Whole, you know, <laughs> any different? Like you, we were talking prior to the podcast, you know that. Male and female, that's that's these boxes that are full with genetic variants and gender issues are different. So, yeah, absolutely. Say, well, there are only two genders. Well, no, but there's two sexes. Yeah, for the, the most part. part. For the most <laughs> part. You know, there are some genetic conditions. And, you know, it, it's like like we said prior to the podcast when we were chatting that it, as a physician, you have to be in one for one patient. You have to be fraternal. You have to be their brother, their buddy and and talk to them that way and, and meet them at that level because that's what works and others you have to be paternal and you have to just tell them you know you got to quit smoking no I, no we're that's the end of the discussion you know you have to take this medicine in the discussion and that's what that's what they that's how they relate and if you don't if you can't sense that uh then you're not going to meet the patient where they need to be you know i i brag uh a brag uh it brag i truly brag about the fact that i've never discharge a patient from the hospital against medical advice in 25 years of practice because I've always met the patient and say well why do you need to go mm -hmm. okay well let's formulate a discharge that works for you based upon what your needs this isn't a prison where you know you don't right. you're not locked up here if you, you right. know because sometimes it's like a, it's a single mom she said, I gotta get home and take care of my kids okay right. well, let's figure out how we're gonna get you IV antibiotics still take it because what you're doing is you're meeting that patient where they're at uh, and I think that's that's the whole understanding of this of this issue. But I, I want to get into something. So what how. Like some girls, I have two daughters, uh, you know, they had a little tomboy phase, mm -hmm. you know, and then, and then now they're, you know, they're both athletes, but they they very much the princesses uh, <laughs> uh, that, that they think they are, but uh, spoil princesses. But uh, I have a tomboy princess too. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, what's the difference between a tomboy phase for a girl, and you know, a I mean, all little kid. I I remember putting on. My mom used to sell wigs, uh, in the the old Kmart East, and it was called Millinery. You know, and they scars. And she actually had quite even at her funeral. She had this quite this following because you know, chemotherapy patients, women would lose their hair, and she was the only wig salesperson in town. And so she got to know these people. Anyway, so, you know, I put on wigs and dresses when I was oh, five sure. and six with my cousins goofing around. Um, try to walk in high heels, you know. So, sure. so when do we say that? What take us through that? I mean, some of that's normal. Yeah. When, when is it like, OK, this is this is this is something we need to talk more about. Yeah. 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 So 
I will say that uh, that dressing up and taking on playing different roles or taking on different characters is something that makes humans so special. We do enjoy that kind of thing. Um, you know, we we like to dress up at Halloween or at different uh, costume parties and things like that. And a lot of us really enjoy that. It's one of the reasons that so many of us enjoy the movies and TV industry. People are playing characters. The thing is that makes this different is that I can play a character, but how I see myself, what I know myself to be, may be totally different from that character. Okay. And so, yeah, yeah. So for the kid who likes to, you know, wear dresses and cowboy hats and and, uh, play in the dirt digging up worms, well, how they view themselves is more important to me than what they're doing. I want them to enjoy what they're doing. How they view themselves is how I should name it. But it's totally normal, no matter who you are, to do dress up and play and to kind of try on different things. Yeah. Um, But that happens with gender transition, too, that for a lot of people who do transition uh, either from uh, from one gender completely to the other or to non-binary or anything along this this spectrum, um, sometimes people do try on different identities to say, you know what, maybe this is how I feel. Maybe this is how I see myself. And they may try something for a while and then go, you know what? I don't, I don't think this fits me. Let me think about something else. Maybe this fits me. And so they may try something else for a while. Um, And so, and for some people, no one role ever fits. Wearing the the dress with a cowboy hat and uh, you know working a construction site and digging up dirt in your in your clothes that doesn't sometimes all of those things always go together and that's okay too. <laughs> so at, at what you know so when when a, when this topic comes up, people say, well, you can't, you're not eligible to make the decision to vote for a president till you're 18. But yet we're going to let a I'm going to be, this is a little hyperbole. I'm going to let a three-year-old determine their gender. So, yeah. what, so in your practice, what, what, how do you see that develop? And what, I mean, I'm sure there's times, how do you encounter that? So, you know, I, the, the, I'm the i a parent of a child that is, a, identi- you know, sex is female, but they identify as a male. And they're kind of, that's the tomboy phase is kind of getting a little bit more intense. How, how do you handle that in your practice? Yeah, so... The the first thing I would say is developmentally, we're not born with a good sense of ourselves. Um, but by the time we're about three or four, and definitely by starting school, the majority of people have a pretty solid identity of themselves. They And for the majority of the kids that I see in my practice, when we do developmental screenings or if you read the parenting books, one of the things we expect a three or a four-year-old to be able to tell us is their gender. I don't necessarily expect them to be able to tell me if their parts fit their gender because their parts are just their parts. So there's not a sexuality to that. And I think that's where the confusion about gender identity comes in. It's saying, well, why would I let a four-year-old choose their gender 
if I wouldn't let them vote. Well, they're not actually choosing something, they're identifying. If I ask a kid uh, at age four if they are gay or straight or what, that's inappropriate because that's sexual. That's how they're seeing other people. And I would not expect a prepubertal child to have sexual thoughts or, or feelings about other people. But but a gender identity, how do you see yourself? Absolutely. And we expect them to be able to tell us at three or four, are you a boy or a girl or something else? And it's a question we ask. And so what percentage of the time does they, what, when do they land on, okay, this is, well, you said sometimes they never do. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes people never do. Um, I will say that my, once I started asking the question a little differently, but before, I don't know, before five years ago, maybe I um, asked the question, are you a boy or a girl? And it never occurred to me that I was leaving some kids out. Um, And so when I made that change, I've actually been pretty, pretty intrigued by some of the answers because, you know, kids when, I mean, I'm a pediatrician, they bring their dolls with them and they want me to check out the doll or the stuffed animal too. And so we do their checkup, but I'll ask a kid, you know, is your doll a boy or a girl or something else? And occasionally I'll get something else. And I go, okay, do you know what your doll is? No. Or she's both. Or she's neither one. Okay, great. Well, fantastic. Then I'll ask them, what would you like me to call your doll? (laughs) Because then, okay, well, I can't make any assumptions here. I'm going to get this kid to give me some information. But it's about how we phrase our questions and how we approach people. Um, And kids are smart. And kids are oftentimes very assured of themselves. You know, you've got kids, too, that sometimes they're very clever. But if they don't know that something is an option, how, you know, they don't know how they call themselves or how they think of themselves has a word. Then then they have to pick what's closest or what they think you want to hear. Um, but I have my youngest kid uh, who's transgender in my practice, um, his parents identified him at four and uh, and did not uh, didn't really have a great way to discuss it except to say we we tell him he's a girl but he always says he's a boy okay well so maybe he's a boy (laughs) but so that took a few different sessions with the parents to really kind of help them get get comfortable with this idea that it was really okay for them to meet their child's needs by calling him what he wanted to be called and letting him dress the way he wanted to dress and that was kind of stressful for them at first you know, I, I, Andy Peterson, the neurologist, and I were talking one time, and he he we, and he he's he's a he's a uh, physician leader in this sort of subject, uh, uh, and lend a lot of expertise to the medical community. But he was saying that it's not unusual for him to have a teenager that's had all these neurological problems and positive review of system, can't a lot of tests, can't really find out what's wrong with them, that he'll just say. Ah, what, what how's your gen you know bring up the gender yeah. issue and they, yeah. they what they are is they're having a gender dysphoria they're trying to figure themselves yes. out and yes and you know he solves it but it's it doesn't just walk in uh to your office with a sign 
that says, hi, I'm having this, this issue because it probably feels so unusual. Right. Now, you know, it's interesting that you say that. You know, when I look back, the very first transgender child that I knew in my practice, um, now this was 10 years ago, maybe, maybe a little bit longer. I haven't been doing this like a million years, but <laughs> but I have been doing it for a little while, um, maybe 10 years ago. And the kid, I had seen this child at the time, uh, had had me call her, her female. Um, and I would say what we would call gender nonconforming, meaning she never dressed like a girl. She never did the things that girls like. Um, but she was a girl. Um, at that point was what what she said. And and um, and I saw her many times over a two week, two year period for psychiatric concerns, depression, for chronic pain. We could not get a handle on this poor person's pain. She would have migraines. She would have body aches. We tried massage. We tried going to physical therapy and she really struggled. And then at some point, I don't know why I even thought of it, but I said to her. Do you do you do you feel like you're not like you don't belong in your body? And she goes, Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, like I, it's I, the wrong one. It hurts, yeah. it physically is painful because it was the wrong one. And um, so anyway, but I can remember that being like an aha moment that sounds like what you're describing with Dr. Peterson, kind of a oh, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> This is, I know this might be a, a, apply to adults as well. What, what, what do you recommend to the patient that has, that's transgender? Uh, how, how do they tell their, the, the, the physician they are? I mean, um, because sometimes we're not going to think to ask about it. Right. Okay. Right. You know, we're just going to, and actually I was doing, uh, reviewing a case recently and it was, uh, female name, but had he throughout. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was a typo. You know, I thought they, well, they, this is a typo. It wasn't, you know, the, the person was transgender. I was like, oh, okay. You know, totally missed it until I started, you know, before I even saw the patient. But anyway, so how, how should they advocate for themselves? Yeah. I know that's a hard question to answer, but what's your advice on that? Yeah, well, and so I would say that I'm certainly not going to be the best person to answer the question of how does a transgender individual advocate for themselves because I'm not trans. Well, but uh, so I would say every transgender individual who does advocate for themselves, I welcome them to tell me how they do it. Um, and and I ask for advice sometimes about, you know, is, you know, I want to say this, is that the right thing to say? I don't, you know, I don't want to be offensive. And if I am offensive in something that I say, I, I apologize and move on. I'm not going to, you know, spend all day discussing it because it was wrong. I said it, I moved on. And right. usually people like that, no matter, no matter who they are, or what the subject is. Um, what I do ask for young people though, is, um, is if they can find one person that they do tell who is supportive and affirming, can you have that person help you out? <laughs> can you ask them, you know, how do I, 
tell my, you know, how do I tell my mom? Can you come with me to tell my mom? Um, and in my office, I try to use a lot of gender neutral language. Um, so instead of saying hi, boys and girls, I'll say hi, kids or folks. Um, or when I even talk about my own child, I, you know, for the longest time and still sometimes do say, okay, my daughter, this and that. But you know what? Does it really matter to somebody if I have a daughter or if I have a son? Most of the time it doesn't. So I'll just call her my kid, you know, like, okay, my kid does this. But I think for people who are experiencing gender dysphoria, they're so aware of language and trying to figure out not only how to identify themselves, but how to identify those safe people. When I'm using a lot of gender neutral language, I'm sending that signal that I'm not making a whole lot of assumptions or I'm not trying to put labels on a whole lot of people. Right. And so that can kind of give that sense of a, a welcoming environment. Um, and and it's been it's long time been a practice of mine and I recommend it for every healthcare professional. But when someone does come out to me, I thank them for telling me that's a really big deal. Um, it's a huge share. It's a, a very personal issue. And if somebody feels comfortable telling me and I, I mean, I, and, and they've done it, I, wow, I'm, I'm really just thrilled. Um, and I thank them because that was a really big well, deal. You made, you, like I always say, you made a difference that day. Yeah. Yep. You know, the days when you go to work as a physician and nothing, nothing happens, it's just kind of refilling medications and blood pressure checks. At the end of the day, you're like, you know, I could have actually stayed at home and this day would have not been a whole lot different. But right. then there's those days where there's, you know, emergencies and urgencies and you, and you can go home and go, hey, they, you know, they needed me today. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, I'll go back tomorrow. So, right. Well, you know, this is this is great information. And I think the take home point is just be understanding of everyone, the people you interact with. Uh treat others as you want to be treated and just have some patience with our fellow uh, humans. Thank you for taking time with us. Uh, once again, that was Dr. Dina Conte, uh, pediatrician at UniPoint Pediatrics. Thank you for listening to Live Well Talk On. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your family, friends, neighbors, strangers about our podcast. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, be well.